Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com in here tonight. And so we thank God for you. We're going to have a great week. Uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23 tonight. And I'm about to read uh, some words that capture the spiritual highlights of a man's life. David is an old man when these words were written, and he's looking back over a life lived for God. The first few verses were the, this was the uh, sermon that Pastor Mitchell preached at conference where it records David's last words. And the first few verses capture the revelation of the heart of a great leader. It talks about anointing, and if you're going to rule over men, you have to be just, and the word of God on your tongue. Then he moves to a statement of mourning over his own house. His sons are in rebellion, betrayed. He talks about they're like thorns that cannot be handled with flesh. Then he moves into the, a tribute to the mighty men of valor, who he recognizes without them he could not have accomplished and done exploits for God. Their courage in battle, their loyalty. Then right in the middle of this, he gives an intriguing story that I want to preach on tonight because it's filled with revelation concerning discipleship and the chemistry of the kingdom of God. I want to minister tonight on a sermon I've entitled The Deadly Drink. From 2 Samuel 23, verse number 14. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate. They took it, brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by three mighty men. Father, tonight we come by the blood of Jesus Christ. God, we come by Your grace. We pray that You open hearts in this assembly tonight. God, I pray You touch men, pastors and disciples, missionaries and leaders. God, You would break into their soul. Give us insight for destiny. God, I pray You raise up these congregations God, truly, that our seed might be scattered in the nations of the earth. Uh, God, give us our generation 
for your glory. And we give you praise for all you accomplished this week. We thank you. It's a work of your hand. Amen. The deadly drink. I want to examine with you, first of all tonight, these lethal longings of David. He's at a strategic time in his life. He's at a critical and a crucial moment. Uh, this is going to be a pivotal place in his destiny. He's won victories. He's fought famous battles. He's defeated Goliath. Uh, he is the pride of Israel. The handmaidens sing songs of his name. He's a successful man. He has accomplishments. He's had a word from God through Samuel. He's anointed. He's destined to be king. He's risen no doubt higher than he ever expected as a shepherd boy, youngest of the family, backside of the desert. God has favored him, given him influence, and now he's gathered with these mighty men... They've linked their life to David. And I want to say tonight, there's no greater treasure than that. They've given David their loyalty and their heart. They've sacrificed all. They've laid aside their agenda and their plans. And they've formed under his leadership. Without these men, he would be nothing. That's what this whole much of this chapter is about. It's dedicated to these men. He understands, and you and I, pastor and workers, we need to understand future pastors. This is a critical aspect without the hearts of men and women who will link with you and I in vision and purpose. We can never accomplish what God has called us to do. These men are mighty in their own right, but they've surrendered their pursuits to fall under this common banner. So here he is. He has this sacred thing in his hand. God has moved him, but now life is closing in. He feels the pressure. King Saul on one hand, there's jealousy that's risen up. He wants to kill him. He's haunted by this man. The Philistines in our text, they've encamped around him. There's troubles, there's trials, there's sorrows, disappointments. All of these are marching into his life. Uh, the days of innocence is over. As you read this, as he records as an old man looking back in hindsight, no doubt he remembers the sting and he feels uh, driven. He's in over his head. His mind and spirit are being bombarded. The Philistines, like you and I, the world, they represent the world and the flesh. They're on one side demanding our surrender. There's trouble in the camp. These men are mighty men, but there's conflicts and competitions and jealousies. All of this is weighing and the responsibility is on his shoulders. There's pressure from God to believe and stay the course. Pressure from the world, the Philistines, King Saul, pressures from within, um, all of this. And now he's at a pitiful, pivotal point in God's kingdom 
and his soul is weary and there's these lethal longings that leap into his life. In our text it said, David said with longings, oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. This is a cry out of the past. He knew exactly where this well was. He had no doubt drank there many times in the past. And now at this moment of his soul being under intense pressure and weariness. In the past, this well no doubt has brought relief to his flesh and his weariness. And so the question is, why is it lethal or deadly? Because you cannot satisfy or relieve spiritual pressure through the longings of the flesh. He's not dying of thirst. It's an old appetite out of the past that's making a demand. I'm the answer to your pressure. But Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus, remember, with the woman at the well, uh, it's a similar setting. uh, And Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I want to say something to you tonight, especially pastors, leaders, leaders in congregations, disciples, future pastors. uh, You have to be very careful what you long for in times of pressure. What you want to turn to, to indulge yourself in seeking some kind of relief. Because if you're not careful, you'll try to relieve spiritual pressure by the arm of the flesh and you will always thirst again. It's addictive. It's an indulgence. It's a diversion. The natural sometimes, there are people that when they're under pressure, they eat, and they eat, and they eat, and they eat. There are those in the kingdom of God when they're under pressure, it's worldly music, and worldly music, and worldly music, and worldly music. I remember a few years ago, I was in a meeting and it was brought out that a pastor who was under intense pressure, he had a lot of responsibility, and so he would go to a motel and rent movies. Never prayed, but he'd rent movies. He's no longer in leadership today. I know another pastor that fishing was his relief. The problem was, all he ever did become fishing. He never had any disciples. And so you see, the evil is not in the water. But it sets a precedence of life that when pressure comes I'm going to find my relief in the satisfaction 
of the flesh. The water was not evil, but it was a seed and a step that became lethal. Because later, when it's time for kings to go forth to war, David doesn't have the heart for it. The problem is tonight, if you indulge your flesh and you begin to look through the indulgence of your appetites and carnality for the answer to spiritual pressure and spiritual conflict, um, that you will lose courage for conflict and war. You'll lose heart to enter into the arenas where God calls you to stand for righteousness, stand against sin, judge sin, and to go forth. You will lose moral courage because there comes a time when it's not water but another man's wife. There comes a time when it's no longer just a longing for the wells of Bethlehem, but it's a longing for Bathsheba. He loses ability to make judgment in life. There's a time when kings went forth to battle, and it says David stayed home. He no longer has a heart for it, Years pass and you see this fatal deception in his youth that later down the road becomes deadly. I want to tell you tonight, we're a militant fellowship. And I'm proud of it. We are militant. We was born in militancy. I'm not interested tonight in gaining the approval of the religious world I'm not interested tonight in being on TBN. I'm not interested tonight in them waving our banner. We are militant to the bone. That's what attracted me 25 years ago was this militant. We are willing to go to war for God and righteousness. But when you begin to embrace these longings of the flesh, you will lose that. Started with a drink of water and ended with another man's wife. This is true tonight of any self-indulgence. could be your anger your bitterness, your carnality, your rebellion, any indulgent. Esau sold his destiny for a bowl of beans. It's incredible. There are disciples sitting here tonight, and you cannot see the issues many times. You cannot see 5, 10, 20 years down the road, but the Bible says out of the heart flows the issues of life. That means no matter what you know up here, what you sow in your heart down the road in the issues of life, your heart's going to choose regardless of what you know and what you've sown in your heart. What you've embraced, the values, the disciplines, the character, lack of character, 
what you've allowed to build in your heart and form your personality and character. Down the road, that's going to choose in the issues of life. This is a lukewarm, carnal, compromising religious hour we live in. And the proof is in the statistics of the church world. Let's look at the message to his men. What he longed for put their life in jeopardy. See, pastor, what we long for can be fatal to a disciple. It says, So three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the wells of Bethlehem that was by the gate. David didn't attempt that, but his men did. We know they could have lost their life because in the next verse he says they jeopardized their life. See, what you may long for and be able to resist, they can't. You might survive, pastor, or disciple, you might survive, but the one behind you, he will not survive. I recently preached a sermon, Messing with Moab out of the book of Ruth. It was a time of famine. Again, it's a time of pressure. It's a time, and, and, and famines come in many ways. There's spiritual famines. There's financial famines. Uh, there's famines of the soul. Uh, there's famines of mind and confidence. Uh, there's all kinds of, the, of illustrations here. But it was during a time of famine and pressure that they ran to Moab. Moab means always more, eager for gain, desiring more. Naomi survived. Naomi comes out, but Moab murdered the men. Not one came out. The husband didn't come out. The sons didn't come out. And so Naomi... She had some reference points, evidently, of, of Bethlehem, of the God of Israel. We know she witnessed about the God of Israel. But what she was able to survive, they were not. See, a lot of times you can survive things uh, that your disciples can't. You may survive L.A. Fitness, the butts and the mirrors, but your disciple won't. I can't understand why people have to have mirrors to exercise. It's amazing what David longs for. I know parents, they long for things and their children never survive. They never come out. But what he longed for, they pursued at risk of life. Evidently, there were reference points and restraints in his life that these men did not have. And their loyalty and respect and honor to him actually endangered their life. That's a frightening responsibility.
It's amazing. The power of influence. Disciple the influence you have. Leaders in congregations. Parents, pastors. What you long for can become a raging passion. This is why Paul says, Do nothing by which you cause your brother to stumble or is offended or he is made weak. Paul didn't say it would cause me to stumble. He said, I don't do things that would cause those who are following me to stumble. Avoid the very appearance of evil. He says that because he understands the influence we have. As pastors and leaders and future disciples, and that's what's here mainly tonight. A lot of other people here, new converts here, but I'd say the bulk of the men and women here tonight are the foundations and the ministry of the churches represented out of Chandler and across the valley. You need to listen to what I'm saying. There's an old story. There was a father, his name was uh, Seraphius. He had a fair daughter named Yulia. She came to him one day and asked his permission to attend the party of Lucidia. The father firmly forbade it. She said, you must think me very weak, father. In what way would it hurt me to go? The father picked up a dead coal from the hearth held it toward his daughter and says, Take it, Yulia. She hesitated. He said, Take it, my child. It will not burn you. She says, It may not burn, but it will blacken. Even as she spoke the word, she saw the significance of her father's action. There's a sense which the pleasure that stains is worse than the pleasure that burns. A burned hand cannot burn the hand that clasps it, but a stained hand defiles every hand it touches. You know, it's easy to influence people into perversion rather than purity. It's much easier to influence people into carnality rather than convictions, in rebellion rather than righteousness, in flesh rather than the fire of God, in videos rather than vision. Think of David. He simply longs for this. And these men are off into self-indulgence rather than self-denial. Right here... The religious world lifts its voice and cries out, super spiritual. Oh, you're just, you're just, you're just super spiritual. You're just, you know, you're just holier than thou. It's interesting to me that people who challenge our standards rarely want to lift them. They want a laurel. And try to make you feel guilty or weird for pursuing 
that which is righteous. Think of Gideon for a moment. Here's thousands of men going to battle. As they go to battle, there's a stream. Again, the water's involved, and the water is not the evil. But it's interesting that as God observes these men of war, there are those that throw themselves down, abandon themselves to the drink. And God says, send every one of them home. Some 10,000 go home. Here's 300. How? God, what's in your mind? We're going to war. Because God understood He had a better chance of victory with 300 than 10,000 plus who were filled with self-indulgence. Where they cast away spiritual guard where they cast off restraint and that alertness that comes from being keen and and walking with God in righteousness. These men just abandon themselves to their flesh. God said, send them all home. What about you tonight? If you walk down this path, At a critical moment of battle, you'll crumble. You'll cave in. That's what God understood. You'll cave in. You'll not be able to stand in the spiritual battles, the demonic assaults, assaults from the world, the religious community, all this that is coming and say, you need to conform to us because you really upset us uh, when you make those kind of stands and standards. Let's look lastly this evening, David and the deadly drink. Verse 16, he took it and brought it to David. They bring this drink to him, and it says, Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord, and he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. What he said is, I have no right to indulge myself in that which other men have risked their lives for. He says that's a holy thing. It's a sacred thing. I want to tell you, it was true then, and it's true tonight. He says uh, he catches a revelation here. Pastor Ruby kind of moved in that stream in his offering tonight. It's one thing to look at those photographs out there and rejoice and see what God has done. But if you miss uh, the understanding that this was bought with precious blood. Last night we presented uh, George and Fran Rose I brought them back a gift from the congregation and Connie and I from Africa. We inscribed some words on their appreciation for their years of faithful service. This couple has never pastored or pioneered. They've not been to Africa. They've not been to Malaysia or India and a lot of places. 
But they're the longest standing couple here. You see that little hot dog stand building out there that it was about the size of this platform. They were in that building giving their blood. Almost every conference unsolicited, every homecoming, some pastor would stand here and talk about George and Fran who took them in their home followed up on them when they were new converts, loved them. And that's what he's talking about here. There's been a price paid not only by this congregation, but by Pastor Mitchell, our fellowship, before many of you were ever even born, physically as well as spiritually. And the difficulty is, if you didn't pay the price, it's hard for you to recognize the value. I was thinking about the wall in Washington, D.C., the Vietnam Wall, this black granite wall, with these thousands and thousands of names. The reason why they put that wall in stone is because men gave their lives and women gave their lives there. They died. I've seen photographs of sheep because dad's name was on there, or a best friend. But you know the truth is, millions of Americans, they go to Washington, D.C., and that's not even on their schedule. Tom Paine, I was just with him in Africa, and he was sharing with me. They've just returned from four years, um, and they were back at the 4th of July, and they were watching some fireworks, him and his wife, his daughters, uh, and some cousins, and the fireworks are going off, and they begin to play. His daughters jumped up, throw their hands over their hearts. And their cousins just flopping around on there. And they begin to scream, get up! This is America! That's our national... What's wrong with you? But see, they've paid a price in a foreign land. And they have an appreciation... Or you can sit here, you can sit in a church that other people play blood for and not even appreciate it. And what he's saying is this would be wicked for me to indulge my flesh in that which someone else gave blood for. I remember preaching here. I wasn't the pastor. Steve Garfield was the pastor. Over there little handful of people by the high school. I remember when I came here down on South Washington Street, and you can see some of these guys that are pastors today, they were paying with their life. Outreaching. Believing. We had a couple of churches out. Sacrificing. Giving. 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 Planting some churches and the church would fall or stumble or, and giving again into that church and it would fall or stumble. Giving again into that church. Outreaching at that church. Sending teams. Sending finances. Sending groups. All of this until finally it took hold. But if you're not careful, you can sit here 15, 20, 25 years down the road and you don't even get it. He said, this is holy. It's paid a price for. It's been bought by spiritual blood. There's things in our fellowship that we've paid price for. 
speaking in tongues. I can remember pioneering. And the moment you'd speak in tongues and worship God, man, there's this. It's just vexed people, man. They go off on you. Today, the one, most wonderful thing, wow, man, that's glorious. In most places, unless you're pioneering, it may still be that way. <laughs> Altar calls. I've had people come here in the winter, they flood in. Oh, Pastor, your sermons. Oh, 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 And then I get ready to give the altar call and they start walking out. And I got so frustrated, I preached this sermon, just kicked their teeth out. <laughs> Said, how dare you, you uncircumcised Philistine. Come and listen to the sermon. And then you, you get up during the altar call. Everything we do is aimed at the altar call. No TV. No TV. Can you spell it? No TV. You're going to be in public ministry? No TV. It's that simple. It's not hard to understand. Simple. We paid price for that. And there's other men here that paid price for that. People walk out your church. Leave. Lip you off. You're not going to go to movies. You got internet and you can't keep your stinking face out of the porno, you ought to burn it. God help you. You're going to be in church more than twice a year. Those are things we paid a price for with blood. Because when you start doing that, people who are carnal, and people who are fleshly and religious, they hate it. They call you an occult. Try to make you ashamed. But I want to tell you, I am proud to the bone. I left the religious world. I left the religious world. Ordained in the religious world. It sucks. And if you don't think so, no problem. Pack your little ditty bag and go. If you want to be religious, no problem. They're everywhere. But don't try to kill us and stagnate us. I'm sick of it. We have fought for church planting, given our best couples, some of the most gifted and talented, time and time and time again. Do they all make it? No. They didn't all make it for God either. Jesus had a Judas or two. But thank God for those who do. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's still the will of God. It's the Word of God. You may not realize, but all of those things are bought in blood. To feel what you feel tonight in this place, and what these flags represent, and these reports this week, 
has been paid for by sacrifice of life. For you to squander that on your own spiritual gluttony is demonic. This church was almost destroyed ten years ago by that spirit. And I'll not let it happen again. See, David had no sons for God. You read it in here. We know about Solomon. We know about Samson or Absalom. The Bible says uh, he was saved. He went on, but he had no lineage. Because you cannot walk in self-indulgence and have disciples that survive on the field. They cannot withstand Solomon. Here he is. I mean, gifted, incredibly gifted. You know, you can build a church with gifts and personality and talent and intelligence, but you can't make disciples that'll live out of that. The religious, well, there's a church over by me. They can't build buildings big enough. Talents, intelligence, marketing skills, draw people. We throw people out for fornication and they go over there and they're star. Because they, they can't make disciples. They can't put that fire and character and soul into a man's heart that he can go forth with his gift like Solomon and stay the course or Absalom. I wonder if Uriah was one of those three men that day as I close. Do you ever think about that? It doesn't list these three men who broke through and brought back the water. I wonder if Uriah, that was Bathsheba's husband. The reason I wonder that is later, as I said, when it's a time that David should have been at war, he doesn't have the heart for it. He sees Bathsheba he indulges himself with another man's wife. She's pregnant. He calls Uriah home from battle. He wants him to lay with his own wife to cover David's sin. But listen to what it says in 2 Samuel 11 verse 9. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to the house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Listen to what Uriah said. The ark of God and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. They're at war, see. And my Lord Joab, this is the commander, the general, and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I'll not do this thing. He says, I cannot indulge my flesh and my own pleasure and my own pursuits, my own ambition, my own desire when the people of God are at war. 
I wonder if he got that from David's illustration that day when he poured out as an offering unto God and said, this is blood. Right here it gets really nasty. David gets him drunk. What a wicked thing. Surely now he'll go down and lay with his wife. But he wouldn't. And you know the story? Now he has to kill him. Because he reminded him of what he used to be and stand for. And David couldn't stand it. This is what always happens when you're confronted with what you used to be in God. The standard you used to hold is no longer your present condition. You either kill them or you repent. Pull back in line or you isolate. That means you don't bring anybody to conference. I've been around a long time. <laughs> or you make token appearances at places. Pioneer rallies here, men's rallies, and you kind of float in and float out, but you don't want your people exposed to what we are, see? Because you're not what we are. And so you either have to kill those who know what you used to be or you repent and turn back to the standard you used to have or you isolate in your religious insanity. My prayer tonight is God give us men that will do right. God give us men that will stand in the gap. God give us men that will stand up and cut the world loose unashamedly. You know, last few years, it was almost like you were, you were ashamed in some circles to, to be proud of the fellowship. Well, you felt it was a cult or something. I remember, you, we were, I remember when I came in this fellowship... Uh, we were proud, man, because we felt like we had something and we were different. And not that no one else was doing anything for God. But what about the sports world? The, the Phoenix Cardinals football team, they can't enlist anyone because nobody wants to be part of that thing. <laughs> They're not, they, they don't even wear, they own players, they don't even wear their shirts. <laughs> want anybody to know. Oh, you play for the car. No, I'm just built. I'm just big guy, man, you know. <laughs> and there was like this, this spiritual poison that permeated everywhere it went. And it stripped disciples of something. And there's men here that were touched by it, and you're going to have to fight back to that dimension. in believing in what God has called us to be and do. I want to challenge you tonight to pour out your life for God. Don't squander it. That's what Paul says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering for you. A sacrifice. 
That's my prayer tonight, you see. And the test is not so much tonight. I was just in Nairobi, Kenya there. This awesome work. Tremendous disciples. And for, you know, pastors and different ones say, ah, you can't make disciples out of these Africans. They're just, there's, there's no moral fiber and on and on and on. Tom Paine didn't believe that. There's disciples everywhere. There's now a national list there. And I told Wycliffe, I spoke to him. I've known him since he was just a new convert. A guard, a security guard that came in and got saved. Here he is. He's insecure. The Mazungu, the, the, the white man's gone. Here he is, this thing, this responsibility, and all of it's placed on his shoulders. The test is not now. Because he feels his need. But I said, Wycliffe, the test will be ten years from now. When you don't feel you need us anymore. You got thousands of people. Success, resources, ministry, open doors. That's when the test comes. That's when the test comes. Most of you, this is not your test tonight in that arena. Some of you it is. But I declare to you tonight, beloved, don't make this fatal mistake of thinking you can relieve spiritual pressure by indulging your flesh. You may have done that in the world. You may when you know, blown your brains out with drugs. But it'll not work with God. It'll simply set you up at a critical time like David. It won't just be water. It'll be someone else's wife. I ask you to bow your head with me this evening.